I was going to sing our opening, but I elected not to because I was talked out of it by Beth, who is a terrible co-host who does not want me to be happy or apparently any of you. Uh, I am Joe Fortunato. I am your host. I am joined, as always, by Beth Macklin and not, as always, uh, by Mika, otherwise known as Hockey Stat Miner, on the website who is filling in for an under-the-weather Michael Murphy, uh, who I can no longer say is always a co-host because today he is not. Ladies, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Howdy. All right. Good to be with you guys. Uh, see, he's he's <laughs> excited. He's happy about this. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, I want to remind you guys that we will be Wednesday from now on. I think Mike said through the end of 2016, there are no more Wednesday New York Ranger games. In the event that they do go to uh, Wednesdays, we will move our show to Thursday that week. If the Rangers play Wednesday and Thursday, we have no idea what we're going to do. We're not good planners. We don't plan. Um we are going to launch within the next week or so a Patreon account. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable because we're putting our hands out and asking you guys for money, but no pressure. Don't feel obligated to do anything if you can't. If you can, that would be awesome. Uh, we want to raise a little bit of money to improve some of the equipment and software that we are using for the podcast to give it a better sound and just a better overall experience for you guys. Uh, and then put a little bit of money in our pockets because... This is a time-sucking adventure that pulls at all of our souls. As all of you know, dealing with the Rangers is not exactly an easy thing to do. Um, but like I said, there's not going to be – there's no pressure on it. If you can, great. If you can't, it doesn't change anything. I know there's not a ton of incentive there. But we're going to try to make some of the donation levels fun, but we're figuring all that stuff out. It is not live yet, so don't worry about it. But I just wanted to make you guys aware of it as we move forward. Um, and yeah, that's really it from our end. So I think the past two shows, we've been very surprised pleasantly by the way the New York Rangers are handling themselves in this environment of, I don't think I realized how tough the Rangers schedule was at the beginning of the year, to be honest with you. And as I said last night, the Rangers have spanked some very, very good teams early on. Are we... Still surprised? Are we kind of getting used to it? Are we taking it for granted? Mika, you are the uh, the guest. You can start us off. Whew. Well, uh, I'm sh- I know it's chewed gum at this point, but wow, I'm I've just been surprised the whole way. Uh, I I was very very happy with uh, the, the moves they made with their forwards. Um, you know, Grabner was was so great as far as like a de facto replacement. Haglin help out the PK. So you kind of and Zimanejad, of course. So you really, you really liked what they did with with the forwards, and of course, Lundqvist Ranta. All right, that's fine. So the big problem was, or the, the speculation was, how's the D going to hold up? You know, how's the D going to hold up? Well, so far, the D hasn't really had to hold up because the forwards just are putting on so much pressure that the inflection points. You know the, the places where New York can really get exploited. Um, the puck's just not in that zone, and it's just—it's been great to watch. I'm—I'm I'm still a little surprised. Beth, yeah. uh, it's funny because I think I've started the last two games um, watching against Florida and at being there last night. Um, you sort of wonder if you're in for the same old thing. Like I know we spent a lot of the first period against Tampa talking about oh, not going to score on Bishop, oh, it's hard to score on Bishop, oh, can't get anything past Bishop, and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened. Um, And that's kind of how it felt last night, too. I was watching it, you know, things were looking a little slow, not quite clicking yet, and I'm thinking, all right, maybe we're not a first-period team so much. Um, But then once it starts, it's just they don't stop. I mean, and it comes from everywhere, and it's just so fantastic to watch and, you know, you still hear pe- being there, you still, it's funny, you still hear people, you know, yelling at them to shoot the puck, which, of course, they have to do. And, of course, that's annoying under any circumstances. But when you see some of the incredible passing that's been going on, you know, more than usual, you even want to be like, sit down and let them do what they're doing. Because the passing plays, I mean, have been gorgeous in front of the net. And at this point, I think they've sort of earned the benefit of the doubt let them pass, let them do what they're doing um, because they're making some really incredible 
making some really incredible plays out there that are just amazing, a joy to watch. And they can just roll the depth. Um, they have the forward depth. Those three lines they can roll, even with an injury. Even when Kreider or or, or, or Buchnevich was hurt, uh, they just still had this incredible depth. And they rolled it. And A.B. just rolls his lines evenly, which I love. So you have the enemy defense. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't target the first line or the second line or the third line because they're pretty much coming out in the same shift, give or take. I think the puck movement has been the best part of what the Rangers have done to this point. And it's such a – it's very interesting because the puck movement is really the big concern when you're not getting any of that transition from the defense to the offense. And yet the offense is so fast and so capable that they've been able to kind of handle those – lack of transition passes and they've done a lot of the damage themselves and to Beth's point there is so much really good puck movement look at the Hayes goal last night as an example yeah. you know VC yep. wins the puck on the boards he moves it up it's a three-on-one because they're all really fast he gets the puck over to Miller Miller to Hayes Hayes scores look at really the last two Grabner goals uh or actually really all three Grabner goals you have a spring pass for a breakaway you have Shea to Hayes to Grabner for basically a wide-open net. You have Hayes doing a ridiculous, like, end-one mixtape-level move <laughs> from against Victor Hedman, who's probably one of the best defensemen in the NHL, to get the puck to Grabner. These are things that we're really not used to seeing. I think you look at last year's record, the Rangers were something along the lines of 16-3-2, and, and the Rangers are playing like crap, really crap. And they were winning games because they were shooting like 25% in a game or 30% in a game. I remember there being a period where the Rangers took four shots on goal and they scored on three of them. (laughs) That was an unsustainable strategy that you knew the ceiling was going to collapse, and it eventually did. This year, I think the Rangers are still shooting hot, but there's so much more in terms of the possession they're bringing to the table, the puck movement. And like you said, Mika, there is no, and I tried to allude to this in today's notes, about last night's game, there is no stopping this offense. There is not a single line on this offense that can't jam the puck down your throat and score. And it has to be overwhelming that you deal with Nash, Stepan, and VC, And then you deal with Zabinijad, Kreider, and Zuccarello. And then you deal with, you know, Hayes, Miller, and who am I missing? Whatever. And then you have Brandon Peary, Pavel Buchnevich and Jesper Fast on the fourth line. There is no stopping them. It's just they're just going to keep coming. The problem becomes when is the defense not being able to produce that type of transition that you're so used to going to sink the ship? And that's going to become a bigger question as we go because if the the school of thought is, hey, listen, the offense is good enough, fast enough, and talented enough that they're going to be able to kind of handle this the rest of the way then the Rangers shouldn't really be overpaying for anyone, and I think they should try to see what they have here. But is it that sustainable? Nico, what's your guess? Well, uh, it, it's early in the season, so you want to you wanna ask that question. Is it sustainable? You know, <clears throat> are we being treated? Um, one, one thing I'd, I want to bring up is uh, in, two, in the beginning of the 2008-2009 season, Rangers started off real hot. And what ultimately ended up happening was they played against Buffalo, probably their 10th or 12th game of the year. And Buffalo, I can't remember exactly what they did. It was kind of like a a modified left-wing lock. But it it totally stifled uh, Tom Rennie's plan. And he just never – and then other teams started doing it. And he he just couldn't adapt. So if you remember, this is eight years ago. The team started off real hot. And end of the year, uh, Rennie was fired – team, you know, just drag its feet into the playoffs. Point being, uh, as we go further in the year, we're going to see how the sample size is, you know, what, 10% of the season. So you have to kind of be a little reserved. But I think AV's adaptability for when teams get, get, you know, put a book on the Rangers and say, okay, we can do this, we can do that. And there's going to have to be some adaptability, I'd imagine, because uh, as impressive as the team is, I don't know if they can just blow through the year like this, just totally uncontested. I think there's going to be some uh, adaptions that have to be made, and I, I think we're going to have to see what AV does, <clears throat> particularly with uh, Holden's ice time. 
Yeah, that's a. I think Holden is the big question right now. <laughs> Beth, before I let you respond, I cannot hear Tom Rennie's name without thinking of three things right away. The first thing is him playing weeks over Lundqvist in the Devil Series. The second thing is the fact that he never let a line stay together for more than like three shifts. And the third thing is Aaron Voro scoring like eight goals the first ten games and then Rennie using him as a first-line winger forever. Since Just since you're talking about <laughs> refusing to adapt, those are the things that come to my head when I think of Tom Rennie, who was with the Red Wings for a while. I don't know where he is right now. He was the head coach he's of the Oilers. A, he got fired there. What is he doing a, now? He's the CEO of... Uh... The Rangers, like Hockey Canada. Oh, that's right. Uh, that international role. Well, Internet. good for him. I always like Tom Ray. I, I don't think he's a good coach, but he was a good guy. Beth, you can uh, you can jump in now that I'm done talking about the real dark <laughs> days. Are we talking about the sustainability thing? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I ranted. I'm sorry. Um, no, you didn't rant. I'm just trying to remember where where I'm going back to. Okay. Well, like I said last night, my biggest fear is that. And last night we almost saw it, that uh, McDonough gets hurt. Um, because I really feel like that would cause a defensive collapse that we would actually um, suffer for big time. That the defense is, yeah, it's, it's right now it's competent, but I feel like any little thing could throw that off. Um, and, again, an injury to him is what I think of mostly. Um, we're still, you know, there's still really the only, the lingering AV question is Clendenning, if he's going to get a chance to come back in, do anything, why Holden is getting the most minutes. I guess we're going to talk about Holden in a little bit. Um, sustainability. What, what I'm kind of waiting for is I want to see what happens when they go to what, you know, I always kind of call the bad place, the games that completely fall apart, the games that nothing works, the games that they can't seem to get anything going. And, you know, after a few minutes you're looking at, you know, you're watching the game with your hands over your eyes. Even the, even the 2014 team had moments like that where you were like, oh, God, things just turned, and let's see if they can pull out of it. Um, I need to see how they recover from things going badly. And again, what was it? The caps they came back from what being three down? How many down? Two nothing, right? Yeah. With yeah, so that's that's a pretty good sign of that. Um but I mean I don't see anything as long as A V doesn't mess with these lines too much and as long as the fourth line again doesn't come where you go become where you go when you were bad. Um I mean, it looks it looks sustainable. I'm just again still a little shaky on the little shaky on what's going to happen with the defense. So, you bring up the point that I hate making this point, but I, I found myself making it a lot. It's the last year test you, against the Capitals and the Bruins. The Rangers went down two nothing early, and last year that neither of those games would have been victories last year. They would have mustered like four shots on goal in the third period, and it would have been disgusting. This year, the offense is so explosive that you're just not turning the TV off because you don't know what's coming. And the Rangers have had these pockets of just unbelievably explosive periods. And yesterday is a good example. Three goals, just back to back to back. Against the Bruins, five unanswered goals. Against Washington, it's just something that the Rangers are sort of stamping on their legacy for this year. And that is a product of the depth that you guys talked about. Michael Grappner is the type of guy who scores two or three game-winning goals in the playoffs. It's a, an embarrassment of riches that the Rangers are sitting Oscar Lindbergh, and nobody can think of a reason for him to be in the lineup. It, it's, it's just a new thing. And look, I don't love Buchnevich on the fourth line, uh, but the reality of the situation is there are no wrong answers because Vigneault is actually rolling four lines. Vigneault is actually taking care of that end of the ice, where I question the sustainability, and like you both alluded to, we're not going to have an answer on this until later in the year, but I do think it's worth questioning right now, because like it or not, the Truba deadline is a month away. By December 1st, he either needs to be traded, signed, or he basically loses the year, and it all cycles back to what it was this year, the Winnipeg Jets keep his rights, and this whole thing starts over again. So 
the Rangers kind of need to make a decision if they're going to go for him or not, or if they're going to go for a defenseman probably sooner rather than later. But my concern in terms of sustainability is when you're looking at this team and you're saying, okay, the offense is great. It doesn't matter. We don't need to do anything drastic. I kind of agree with you. But when you have a forward or two forwards in the defensive zone fishing those pucks out, you have less players in the neutral zone for those breakout passes. And eventually, teams are going to figure out how to shut those lanes down. We've seen Ryan McDonough throw a couple of home run passes. We've seen Kevin Klein do it every now and again. Clendenning was very good at it. But even with Clendenning and McDonough, that's two of six players who can do it consistently. With just McDonough, that's one player who can do it consistently. And as good as Stahl has been, and as Girardi's improvement and for Holden for what he is, none of those guys are able to get the puck out of his own like that anymore. And that's a big part of this defense. So I have a longer story coming up on this, and I'm trying to kind of break it out a little bit. I, I just don't know if the Rangers forwards are going to be able to go 200 feet 50 times a game to create these chances for 82 games, plus the playoffs. I just think they're going to run on fumes after a while. And again, like Mika said, we're going to have no idea about that until we get into the midway point of the year. But I do think the Rangers' embarrassment of riches up front has certainly helped in that department. Um, when you talk about the forwards, you have to talk about special teams. The Rangers' penalty kill and power play has actually been really good. One of the more surprising things about what the Rangers are working with. And I think it, it's sort of a product of the skill that the Rangers have up front. But in the games where the Rangers are not really doing as well possession-wise, which have been rare, and the games where the Rangers aren't creating as much offense as you'd like to see at even strength, which, again, has been rare, the Rangers have done a good job on the power play, and the penalty kill has bailed them out. So all that into consideration, 10 games in, it's 10% of the season, whatever. Mika, what player has impressed you the most? And it could be anyone from Rick Nash, who's playing really well, to VC, to whoever. Which player the most? Um, I think the obvious answer is Kreider. Uh, for so you know, for so long, it just became <laughs> something we said over and over again. Like the kid's got the pieces, he's got the tools. Um, <laughs> will he put it together? And he had like he basically had uh, just the same year. So he, he kind of plateaued, and then uh, he signed his contract, and now he's uh, he's just killing it. And I think Zabinijad does have a role to play there because for the longest time it was uh, Kreider with Stepan, and it just you know Kreider with the shot, Stepan with the playmaking. You think it would work, but I guess just for whatever reason um, it never clicked. But uh, just when Kreider and Zabinijad are on the ice. Uh, it's it's just been like a revelation. So probably Kreider. Um, although there's a Benajad there's a deal, just just how good that trade is looking every day. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's it's nice. It's nice for the team to make a trade, and then every day after that trade, you just get a little feel a little better about it. It's nice. Beth. Yeah, I mean, I just would like to point out we were we were praising the power play and it has been working well uh let's just see the the what was it the five on three needs a little work last time we saw that i mean that that was that was sadness that was just pure sadness um which is almost a farce considering the what this team's been accomplishing i kind of give them a pass because they were up three nothing at that point and i get it like you don't want to take your foot off the throat I guess. I don't know. You know, you have to recoup that energy somehow, but it would be different if it was a, you know, life or death situation, but not to interrupt you. I just, I figured I would throw that. No, no, it's, it's true. But I, I, that's the one thing I remember standing out as being like, all right, guys, you know, what's happening here? What are we doing? Um, unnerving amount of it in our own end. Um, Oh, and who's impressed me most? Well, you know, my favorite bust, VC, is, you know, just wow. Again, to go from the question of being, is he NHL ready, to the question of, you know, how many goals is he actually capable of? Um, Because it really seems like a whole lot. And, yeah, I mean, he's exactly where he belongs, I think, right now. And he sees... I mean, he sees the opportunities. I love him. Um, I love that line he's on right now. 
I just think he's producing um, much more quickly than we expected, much more than we expected, um, taking on already a bigger role than we expected so soon. Um, so, again, I'm, I'm kind of uh, just breaking up my VC is a bus narrative um, because you probably already know what my actual answer to that question is other than VC in terms of who's impressed me the most. Is it Macareth? Is Macareth the answer you were going to give? <laughs> um, uh, yes, in my head. Uh, no, well, again, this is probably me, you know, shoving the pie in the face of the Nash haters. Um, yeah, I'm in. I think there's the reason why I brought and it up is because. I've got more pie, too. I've got a whole lot more pie to do that with, and I think I'm oh, going to be ready. able to use it. She has been baking pies all week just to throw <laughs> into people's faces. Um, and one of the reasons why I brought it up is because it's a very difficult question to answer. I think Kreider is a very good answer, and it's probably – there's no way to talk about this without talking about Kreider. Uh, ultimately, I, I think I'd give VC the nod only because there was really no expecting him to be this good this quickly. Right yeah. now, the NHL leader in goals is Artemanisimov, which I'm – I don't even – I can't process that. And Stamkos with seven. <laughs> Jimmy VC, who was playing at Harvard last year, has six. VC has nine points in, in ten games. It, it's – his playmaking has been absurdly good. His shooting has been spectacular. He's shooting at 30% right now, so that's not going to stay that way forever. Um there's no way he's he's going to level yeah. out probably come all the way back down towards maybe 10 or 11 or 12, or if he's super hot, maybe 17 or 18, but that's going to come down. But my argument is there, there are so many plays that he sets up that don't get finished that that's not going to last either. So I mm-hmm. do think the points are going to level out one way or another, but for all the goals that he's not scoring, or excuse me, for all the goals that VC is scoring, Vuksnevich is not scoring them because he's totally snake bitten. So the good news yeah. here is at some point, Buchnevich is going to start scoring goals when VC stops. And I don't want to take anything away from Nash, who I think has been unbelievable. I don't want to take anything away from Kevin Lazy, but I lost 20 pounds. Hayes, who's been <laughs> unbelievable. And JT Miller, who I think has been really good. And like Mika said, Zabinajad, who has been spectacular. Um, I think Buchnevich has really impressed me with his work away from the puck. This is a kid who, when he figures this stuff out, is going to be a really special player. And even right now, he's a really special player. But Peary has been great. It's just, let me just run you down the line. Miller is 10 points in 10 games. VC Kreider, Zabinijad, and McDonough have nine points. And the rest of them have played 10 games. Kreider's only played six, so that's really impressive. Zuccarello and Nash have eight points. Hayes has seven points. And then Grabner, Peary, and Stepan have six points. When was the last time you remember the Rangers having so many forwards and defensemen hovering around that point-per-game mark? It's been forever. Even last year, the Rangers' leading scorers were Zuccarello with 60 points, and Broussard was somewhere in that category, too. And, and now you have guys who, again, who knows if the Rangers are going to sustain this level of offense for 82 games, but there is a lot to like and a lot to be impressed about with what the Rangers are doing right now at the forward position. And McDonough is an animal. The only way to stop McDonough is to hospitalize him, which they tried to do yesterday by smashing him in the eye and... I immediately thought about Beth, who made a great comment on Twitter that if McDonough's <laughs> injured, we all turn back into pumpkins because, as I said last week, the defense <laughs> is held together with scotch tape and glue sticks. There is no backup plan. McDonough, there's no backup plan for McDonough. If anyone else gets injured, you put Clendenning in, and it's probably an upgrade. Not for McDonough. So if there is an argument to be made about the Rangers needing to make a defensive switch or a defensive move, it's the fact that for all the forward depth that the Rangers have, they have absolutely no defensive depth. And how much of a problem is that, Mika? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, this team looks great, but 82 games is a long way. You know, how's McDonough going to be looking uh, mid-April? Uh, right now he's, he's playing a little over 24 minutes a game, uh, which is he's basically playing about four minutes more than the next guy, which is Stahl. Uh, so that's what happens when you have some shallow depth. So even before, uh, you know, we, we say, what's the logical place to improve? It's not forwards, it's not goaltending, it's defense. So even before you get to that, you say, look, 
if, if this team's serious, uh, you need some. You need another defenseman so that you can at least bump down McDonough's minutes a little bit, uh, because that's that's 24 and some odd minutes. Uh, those are tough minutes. Those are the toughest minutes <laughs> of the game. Uh, Hensey is your, your number one defenseman. So when it, when it comes to going out and getting someone, uh, you know, what do you pay? Who do you get? Uh, the number one before you consider anything else is that if if they go out and get someone who's you know a top four defenseman, uh, you have to consider that oh that's that's x amount of shifts McDonough doesn't have to play every game. That's x amount of shifts that McDonough's going to be a little fresher for the playoffs if that's where we're going this year, which it does look like. Um, so all signs just point to that is the logical step. Uh, knowing this team and what they do, uh, it's probably a good guess in some capacity of some defense upgrade over the year. Um, they have cap space. I, I don't remember how much last time they've, I guess 2012, but usually they're just, you know, hugging the cap ceiling and, you know, that handi- that handcuffs their moves. Uh, not this year. This year they're a little over $3 million right now, and it's projecting to be a little over 12 by the deadline. So they have all the room in the world. They have their first-round pick. They have uh, AHL full of you know future assets of some value. Uh, the first and they time even get, forever. And they, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a weird feeling. How do how do fans usually feel about this? Um, <laughs> and they and they also got Ottawa's second-round pick. So they they uh, you know the cabinet is stocked. Everyone and their mom knows where the team ought to improve and where they probably will improve at some point. And they've got the cap space to do it. So this is just a perfect storm, in my mind, of when does the bomb go off? When does the big move go? Um, for better or worse, whatever it is, I don't know. But that that's it, it's the perfect storm all coming together, and it'll, it'll be here by January, February, <laughs> if not sooner. So, Beth, just before you jump in, Mika, I think the real question at this point becomes, are you willing to shake up what the Rangers have done on offense to improve the defense? And by that, I mean, are you willing to trade? Uh, really, it's JT Miller at this point. Cause you're not trading Buchnevich. You're not trading VC. You're not trading Hayes because Hayes got VC here in the first place. Or would you be willing to trade a guy like Miller for either straight up for a top four defenseman or part of a package for Truba? To, do you think that does more good than bad in a situation like this? Well, there's a lot of factors to consider. Uh, I mean, the expansion draft is just that's where you start, where if the Rangers are going to get a guy, um, then they're going to have their hands full when it comes to they can only protect three defensemen. And as of now, they have to protect Girardi and Stahl. So if you acquire someone like a Shatten, well, Shattenkirk's a little different because he does – become a free agent in the summer. Um, but Which is a great loophole. Yes, it is. It is. It, it's very interesting to see if, you know, <laughs> if they'll acquire Shattenkirk, expose him, wait for July 1st, and then sign him right back. That, that'd be something. But it, it, it comes down to, you know, they, they say, oh, the Rangers are all in this year, and they've been all in <laughs> every year for the last four <laughs> years or whatever it is. Um, so do you go all in again and – a big factor is, I mean, let's be real. Lundqvist turns 35 in March. Lundqvist has played all the under 35 playoff hockey he's had to play. Um, and that contract is still around for another five years. So you have to you have to ask yourself, um, a, a great prospect like Miller or, uh, you know, a solid, solid asset like Klein, um, trading that and maybe stirring the pot a little bit as far as if you talk about tinkering with the forwards, trading Miller. It it really depends on – I can't answer that, but I'm saying I understand – I can understand both arguments because they've come so far to really restock the cupboard, but at the same time, Lundqvist ain't getting any younger. Beth, your thoughts? I don't know. How are we feeling about Klein right now? Um I mean, the team is riding so high that it would seem like his his value would sort of be going up, just, you know, rising tide, lifting all boats sort of thing. Um, But have you guys actually been 
impressed with how he's been doing this year? I mean, what, I guess my question is how attractive a piece do we see him as? I mean, because if you put him and, you know, if we're thinking about him and Miller next to each other, they don't even seem like the same, that doesn't even seem like the same conversation in a weird way. Does I mean, that make well, sense? it might just be done for the cap reasons because Klein's $3 million. So if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna get, gain gain a, a big contract or whatever, um, and you're you're swapping defensemen, it, it's kind of logical from a cap space. But I, I you do have a point. It's it's interesting. I, I made a big argument that the Rangers needed to trade Klein last summer because there was no opportunity for him to have better trade value. Than that insane, yeah. like he was scoring every other game, you know, all these big goals type season. And I was very wrong. And he kind of stepped in and became a really solid asset last year. Uh, the question becomes, like Beth said, what do you think of him right now? I think he's been okay. I don't think he's been anything incredible. Uh, obviously, I'd rather have him out there than not with the Rangers lineup <laughs> right now. But mm-hmm. when I look at Kevin Klein, he's not an unbelievable possession player, but I think Mika used the right word. He's a steady presence. More often than not, Klein is doing the right thing. I don't necessarily mean he's blowing anybody out of the water. I don't mean that he's going to be someone who you can rely on for 30 minutes a night every night, but I would much rather see Klein on that first pairing than Girardi. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But Klein, I kind of look at as... uh, what am I thinking of? Like a fill-in, you know, you scratch wood and you use like the universal <laughs> fixing kit and you like cover the stain with the, that's kind of what Klein has become for this team where Vigneault has issues. He just puts Klein on that pairing and tries to settle things out. The good news is the Rangers right now are capable of doing a lot of really good things on offense that is helping the defense. And another thing that I don't think we've really talked enough about is Mark Stahl has actually made a pretty good jump this year from last year. You're not talking about the Mark Stahl pre-eye injury, but you are talking about a Mark Stahl who every time he's on the ice, it's not like you're panicking because something bad is going to happen. Girardi's made improvements too, but again, that's relative compared to last year when you or I would be an improvement. So I do think Klein probably does have trade value. I think Klein is one of those players that has – more trade value because of his reputation than his actual skill on the ice. I'm sure there are a lot of general managers out there who are like, oh, Kevin Klein is a really good, you know, solid defenseman. And a good example of that is I think a couple of games ago, maybe a week ago, they were talking about the Michael Delzato trade for Kevin Klein. And Al Troutwig made a comment that the Rangers ran away with that trade. And Delzato's a top four defenseman for the Flyers doing really, really, really good things. So I'm not so mm-hmm. sure that the Rangers are – or I'm not so sure, A, the Rangers dominated that trade, but B, Kevin Klein is anything more than what he is, a very bottom-tier top-four defenseman, if that. I think – Another, another thing Cup, is – yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, the, one of the things is, you know, we're t- Klein has not been noticeable like he, like he has been. Um, and, gee, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because the person he was playing the vast majority of five-on-five minutes with was mm-hmm. Keith Yandel. And when you're playing with a puck mover on your, on your opposite side, big surprise, you know, you get opportunities. You get offensive rushes. Uh, you set things up. Um, but now, you know, he, both, uh, both, both years Yandel was with, was with the Rangers, um, five-on-five, he pretty much played the majority with Klein. Um, now Klein's playing with Stahl, and you know we've seen the Stahl-Klein pairing years, you know years prior, and it's never really been, you know, something to write home about. Um, so, but Stahl has has played much better this year for sure. Um, but I think when you look at why Klein maybe hasn't been as noticeable um, or as anecdotally noticeable as the years prior. Um, Playing with Yandel and playing with Stahl are very, very different things. I like anecdotally noticeable. Um, can we just take two seconds and imagine in our heads what, what Keith Yandel would be doing with this team right now? Oh, man. Oh, my God. Can I have not even thought just, of that. Can you just think about that a little bit? Can you just imagine what that would freaking look like? It would be baseball scores every night. You replace <laughs> – 
you replace Siendo with Holden, and the Rangers may be legitimate cup contenders, honestly. You have that yeah. bona fide number one power play unit, and you have a guy who can move the puck the way that Yandel does, and you legitimately may have a Stanley Cup contender. And that's the thing that's most frustrating with where the Rangers are right now. The Rangers are one or two moves away from being a lethal team up and down the lineup. The forwards are set. The goalie is set. You can deal with Girardi, Stahl, so long as Girardi stays at the level he's at right now. Stahl, the same thing. Klein, if you have a guy like Truba with McDonough on your top pairing. And... Uh, that has to be in the back of their minds. And we debated a little bit in the Tony time yes, or last week as to whether or not, <clears throat> excuse me, as to whether or not Jeff Gordon is going to be tempted to go for it this deadline if the Rangers continue playing this way. And there's a lot of really positive vibes with this team that makes you think they can make noise in the playoffs. But they are not far away from being a contender. And here's the other question, and this is what I'm going to throw out there to you. Yesterday during the Ranger game, I made a comment that I was sort of backing away from my desire for the Rangers to make a big splash like go for a Truba and instead to wait out the game or wait out the end of the year and then go for Shattenkirk, who it's the worst kept secret in the world that he wants to come to New York. I know that nothing's guaranteed, but go for him for free over the summer and that's kind of where I am right now. A lot of people yelled at me. It's November 1st. You can't just say stuff like that. You can't think about stuff like that. But I think even with the Shattenkirk, this team kind of does become a cup contender, honestly. And I, the Rangers could theoretically be a cup contender right now. I don't know if I'm totally sold on that idea yet because I am really concerned about the defense. But there has been – this is not like the Rangers are having a cupcake schedule. Played the Blues twice, the Capitals. You're talking about the Lightning. There are some really good teams that the Rangers have just put their mark on. And you have to be happy with what they've shown. Again, sustainability is a big thing. But uh, I'm just not sure the best idea in the world is to sit there and say, hey, listen, we're going to kind of adjust this, this forward group right now that's working so well for anyone other than a 22-year-old top defenseman like Truba. And, and that's really where I sit on that. Mika kind of touched on that before. So, Beth, do you have anything to add in that realm? Well, in terms of sustainability, I mean, this is me being optimistic, so I want you to mark it on your calendars. But, Calm you know, what if it did? <laughs> what if it did instead of getting six goals, you got three as long as the other team still just got one? If you got five goals, you know, or if you got – three or two goals instead of the five we got last night, as long as they get zero. Um, You know, if we are worried about the wear and tear on the offense and can they keep that speed up and can they keep that back decking up? um, I mean, we've been dealing with blowouts. So as long as they sort of keep the percentages up, if that makes any sense, you know, you don't need six goals in every game unless your opponent has five goals, you know? So even if they did maybe slow down a little bit, or if other teams started figuring out how to break up what they're doing and cutting down on that's what's face it is, is really kind of ridiculous production right now, like hyperbolic goal scoring. Um, we're still winning, you know, even if you cut off three of those goals, those are still wins. So, I don't know if that makes sense in terms of sustainability, but I'm saying even if you keep just that, you know, half that percentage of those amazing quality chances, things that those goalies, those Bs and those goalies could not have stopped, which I think we've seen a few of those in every game, you know, you're still winning games, even if you're not doing it in the sort of hyperbolic way that they've been doing it so far. Does that make sense? So even if they slow down, they're still winning. Those close games, though, are, are what we have not seen yet, and, and that's where this team is really going to show its true colors. Not that they mm-hmm. haven't to this point, and that's not to insinuate that the quality of work the Rangers have put forth is not good, because last year's 16-3-2 sample size was an enormous sample size that everybody knew wasn't going to last. This 7-3 and three sample size is not that big, but you kind of get the sense it's going to last. 
But I'd be very curious to see if this New York Rangers team can win those one nothing, two one, three two games. The Rangers mm-hmm. are not going to score five goals every night. They're not going to win games five nothing, six one. It's not going to happen. And the Rangers lead the NHL right now with an eighteen goal differential. And again, <laughs> when was the last time we were talking about? This? We haven't talked about stuff like this in forever. But that's not always going to be that high. The Rangers aren't going to always be that much ahead of the other team. And that's where these questions really come into play. The offense has done an unbelievable job pacing ahead to make sure that the defense doesn't need to be doing all that much heavy lifting. You know, it's very easy to defend when you're up by four because you've crushed another team's will. The Rangers have basically parked the bus and gone home both of the past third periods, and they've been none the worse for wear. Makes their possession numbers look worse, but it doesn't matter because the other team doesn't care at that point. What happens when the Rangers aren't running other teams out of the building? Are the Rangers capable of playing that playoff grind-it-down hockey games that occur where it's one nothing in the third period and you're trying to hold on to this lead? And that's where I'm not so sure because this Rangers offense does a great job defending because it doesn't make the defense defend. But that's because they're playing run and gun. They're forcing the puck in the corners. They're moving the puck out, quick transition lanes, and they're trying for odd man rushes. One nothing, you're not playing that aggressive. So when the offense sits back a little bit, what happens to the defense? And that's my concern. The game against Carolina is a really good example. It was 3-2. The offense really wasn't creating anything. It was one of last year's third periods. I think the Rangers took six mm-hmm. shots on that. And there was no – Vigneault got Girardi and Holden out on the ice at the same time, down a goal with a minute and 45 seconds left. Um, that's the joke. I don't have a joke. That's the joke. And they got pinned in their own zone for 45 seconds. That team exists under this team. That team is not different than the team you're looking at right now. The difference is the circumstance that this offense puts this team into are much more favorable. When you're up one nothing, 2 nothing, or really, it's almost a benefit for the Rangers to be down because when they're down a goal, they just get more explosive on offense. And the more explosive the Rangers have been on offense, the less defending they have to do. But that becomes the question, doesn't it? It's 3-2. You have two minutes left. Who do you go to? Last year, towards the end of the year, Vigneault was able to put McDonough and Girardi on the ice. Or, excuse me, McDonough and Yandel on the ice. And the Rangers had a legitimate defense that could control the puck and make things happen. What happens this year? And, Mika, I'll let you jump in so I can stop ranting. (laughs) Well, no, that's that's the question. Um, we we all know that uh, the amount of time and space uh, shrinks drastically in the postseason, and for a team like this, uh, it, the way they demonstrated, it's almost like uh, you know the saying a, a good offense is a good defense. Uh, well, in this case, a good defense is a good offense. Uh, they just haven't. They've just the the, the places where this team is most exploitable. Uh, that put the parts of the ice. The puck just isn't there because the forwards are doing such a tremendous job. So when it comes to higher higher competition and uh, playoff time, um, and you really have those you know two one one nothing three two grindy games, um, I'm, I I don't have as I don't have full confidence um, just because the Rangers thrive so much in the neutral zone and. Play, come playoff time, the, the neutral zone totally changes. Uh, just the time and space, uh, it, it evaporates. So that is a legitimate concern. Um, just one quickly, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, about an upgrade. There, the expansion, there's some teams that are just going to be screwed in the expansion um, as far as the, they're going to have to expose some quality defensemen. You've got Calgary, you've got Anaheim, you've got Winnipeg. Um, so just quickly going back to like what, what would you give for an upgrade? The market might might actually favor the buyer a little bit more than years past because you're going to have teams that look. I don't want to lose this guy for nothing in two months. Um, let's make a trade, and so, and the Rangers going to have the cap space. So that's one thing I wanted to quickly throw back there. Beth, any thoughts? No, I'm good on this for right now, I think. I mean, I don't think we solved anything, but I think we know that there's things we're just wait, situations we're waiting to see uh, um, that are going to tell us something. And also uh, just about sustainability, like like what Joe mentioned, where, you know, VZ is going to slow down, but 
Bruce Neighbors is going to heat up, so that's nice. Well, you know, right now the team is like first in expected goals, first in shooting percentage, first in scoring chances, four percentage, um, red hot numbers. Um, but you know what? They're 21st in save percentage. Their Lundqvist is off to a slow start. So when scoring is going to go down, uh, Lundqvist is at 917 now. Um, he was at 901. So when the score when the scoring slows down, uh, the quality of goaltending should, in all likelihood, go up, even with you know questionable defense or whatever. Um, so that is something else to look at where, you know, they've been, they've been doing this, uh, with some, with some bad goaltending numbers, uh, which makes it just even more impressive. Again, the the quality of work the Rangers have put forward is, is has been really impressive and the team is going to struggle. Every team struggles. And, and the real question becomes, are the Rangers going to be smart enough to know, and this is not like a player standpoint, this is Vigneault and, and company, that even in struggles, this team has the infrastructure to do really good things, or are they going to try to shake stuff up, be it whatever that it is? And I guess the, the real question becomes, what will this team show when the true colors come out? What will this team show when they lose two or three games in a row and they're just not generating the chances? Are you going to see those adjustments? Everybody's got expansion draft on the mind. The Rangers are going to have to expose some pretty good forwards. Depending on what happens, the Rangers are going to have to expose some good defensemen. Um, like Mika mentioned earlier in the show, Stahl and Girardi have to be protected because they have semi-no-movement clauses in their contract. So you're not going to expose McDonough. So those are your three defensemen. Shea doesn't have to be exposed, so he gets to stick around. But are you willing to lose Klein? Are you willing to lose a Truba if the Rangers get him? The loophole that we were talking about before, if the Ra- say the Rangers trade for Shattenkirk and they just don't sign him, they, he's not getting taken in the expansion draft because he, he's got 10 days left on his contract at that point. So you're not going to take him. Or you can take Rangers, him and he just becomes free agent. The, the Rangers are going to have to do some juggling at some point. Are they going to ride this team out? I, I hope so. I don't want to see the Rangers go for it again and again and again, but you look at this offense and you look at this team, and this is maybe the first time since 2014 you can justify the Rangers really going for it. And I mean that from the standpoint of not another forward rental, not another bullcrap Eric Stahl trade, but I don't want to see the Rangers get another rental. If the Rangers are going to make a move on defense, I want to see them make a move for the long term. Truba is the hot name out there. Elliot Friedman did a story in his 30 Thoughts, which is an unbelievable column for those of you who, if you don't read it, you should read it. He does it every week. It's 30 Thoughts on the NHL. He said that the Ducks are not willing to move Cam Fowler. So either that's a new ideology from them, or the Rangers are scouting someone else. Is it Sammy Vatnin, who I think would be an unbelievable addition to this team? It's obviously not Lindholm who signed, but there was some movement there. The Rangers are looking to upgrade their defense. That's not a surprise. The surprise is we don't really know what they're trying to update. They want to update their top four, but Nick Holden keeps playing top four minutes. Why mm-hmm. isn't Adam Clendenning getting an opportunity? Vigneault says Clendenning is going to get into the lineup at some point, but for who? Is it going to be for Holden or is it going to be for Shea? We've seen this subjective wheel of justice that Kevin Hayes basically made famous last year come back into play. Nick Holden gets into the lineup because Clendenning makes one mistake and he gets to stay in when Girardi comes back against Washington in a game where Clendenning played really well, may I add. The next thing you know, Holden is having a terrible game after terrible game and nothing changes because Vigneault says one thing and does another. So I don't know what the Rangers want. We've talked about this before. It's almost like the Rangers are like a two-headed turtle, like the Rangers went out and got Yantle, and Vigneault didn't want to use Yantle. The Rangers sit there and they say, okay, we need to upgrade a top four, which would insinuate that the brass knows something's wrong with the top four, and then they keep giving Nick Holden crunch time minutes in top four minutes. So where do you go from here? Do you trust the team to do the right thing? Do you not trust the team to do the right thing? Do you think that it's better to let sleeping dogs lie and just sit with what you have? I don't know the answer. None of us know the answer. But that's my real concern. And, Beth, in the event that the Rangers are looking to upgrade their top four for the defense, do you see more of a rental or do you see more of a long-term solution on the horizon? 
I don't know because the defense is still the place where logic doesn't seem to come into play. So like I mean, zone. I'd want to see, I'd want to see long term. But what and what on this team for defense? What I want and what happens are basically never the same. So you know, I'm a little afraid to want anything, um, considering we're not really using what we have effectively. Um, so like, I could give you the logical answer but I would not think that that had any bearing on what was going to end up happening. I mean, I would like, I mean, I think we need another actual, you know, piece that's going to stick around to build, um, to build a defense that, that, that matches supports and, and isn't a sort of, doesn't need to be held up by the offense, but I, you know, none of the rest of it makes sense to me. So you know, what's the point of even what's the point of even wondering? I don't know. I realize that's a horrible answer, but nothing else. I mean, what was it? So what I said was I remember saying in preseason that the use of Clendenning gave me hope for the defense that maybe they, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know. And and now he sits and McElrath is gone. Um And did we lose Hello? Beth? We lost Beth. Yeah, we lost her. Go ahead, oh. uh, Nika. You could jump in to replace the uh, fact that we lost Beth. Uh, I might be next. Um, well, something's going to happen um, because even if they don't, pull, you know, push the big red button, quote unquote, you can still trade, you know, a third round pick for a top six guy. You can, you can still do something where someone beats out, you know, Holden or Clendenning or whoever uh, to marginally improve the top six. That's, I mean, 12 million cap space, uh, you know, the team's going to do at least that. There's just, there's no question on my mind, um, regardless of how well they do. There's just, why wouldn't you? I mean, I, I don't even know the last time the Rangers had 12 million cap space at, at, at a trade deadline. doesn't happen. But it, it might it actually is on pace to happen this year. Um but I do I can see instead of a rental, I, I really can see the team um taking advantage of like the expansion dynamics in the trade di- in the trade deadline where teams that usually run a pretty good business being the sellers, um, you know, maybe the clearing house moves a little bit closer to the buyers because you have these teams where, you know, these big contracts with with no movement clauses and they're going to lose them for nothing in expansion or what have you. And so you might see some quote unquote wacky um, out of place uh, wouldn't usually happen in a deadline type moves solely for expansion. And, you know, I, I said it, I said it before, you know, the Rangers, well, we got Girardi, we got Girardi install and then McDonough. So we might lose Klein. Um, you know, that's not too bad. There's, you know, go look at Anaheim. Go look at Calgary. Go look at Winnipeg. Uh, you know, like the Dougie Hamilton rumor, where it's like that. It probably would be a silly rumor any other time. Um, the expansion kind of, well, you know, I could see that happening. It kind of makes sense in that in that perspective. Um, so I think there, if the team is inclined to engage in the trade deadline, um, this might be a good deadline for a team with with what they're looking for. Uh, and getting someone who is not a free agent next summer but maybe has years left on the deal. Um, but something's going to happen. It's just a matter of how big, um, how the team values, you know, the assets it's giving up versus what it's coming in. Uh, who knows? Who knows how teams view assets? I I wouldn't even guess. But just to me, it's the cap space. There's only one area to improve, and – and the Rangers have a first-round pick. I mean, I'm not saying Gordon's definitely going to go burn it, but that option is on the table with the other factors. It's it's just the perfect environment, especially if the team keeps playing well, to go out there and make a big move. And whether it's a rental or whether it's longer term, uh, who knows? But it, for me, it's 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 a question of you know, okay, what are they going to do? Not not if they're going to do it. You bring up a really good point, too, which is it's basically silly season at this point. The fact that Trouba is sitting on the market, that Lindholm took so long to get locked up, that Hamilton was even remotely a possibility somewhere along the line. 
something does have to happen. There are a lot of teams who are probably really concerned with the expansion draft. I'm sure there's a lot of general managers who are looking up and down their, their roster and thinking to themselves, I, I can't hold on to these four defensemen because I don't want to leave one for the expansion draft. And the Rangers are looking at that situation with their forwards. The Rangers are going to have to expose probably Lindbergh or Fast, one of them because there's just that many forwards that they're going to have to protect. Um, So do you get rid of one of those guys with the hopes of getting someone else? I think that kind of becomes the question. Yeah. When you, when you look at the Rangers lineup, you can uh, look, there is no place for Lindbergh right now. And I I get that he's the 13th forward, but when Joris comes back, then what happens? And there's a lot of questions that are going to surround the Rangers and, they're not going to stick with this much of a lineup. You're not sending Joris down because you're going to lose him for nothing because he's going to go off to Switzerland. Do you trade Joris? Do you send him down anyway because you don't care? Do you get rid of Lindbergh and try to get something back there? It's just, like you said, there's a plethora of options out there. And I'm not totally yeah. sure what the Rangers are going to do, but I know they're going to do something because they have to. Yes. There is no status quo right now. And a lot of teams are probably looking at their defense and thinking, huh, we do have players. Nashville's a really good example. I don't know what Nashville's going to do with their defense. They could lose two or three. Now, granted, you can only lose one player in the expansion draft, but they have two or three very good defensemen that they need to put out there that they, they can't protect. Do they trade someone for a forward so that they don't have to worry about that, so that you're not losing an asset for nothing? That's exactly the it. have the forwards. I mean, that's the point. If you're going to make a deal, that's the deal to be made. And yes. You brought up another good point where you said this could be a buyer's market. Maybe Gordon knows that. Maybe he knows this is going to be a buyer's market. Maybe two weeks before the deadline, teams like Nashville are going to be like, oh, shit, we can't sit here like this. We need to do something. And there's a better deal to be made. Because right now, Gordon does not have to make a decision on anything. The team is winning. They're playing really well. There hasn't been that explosion. There is no heat under the seat of anybody. Gordon has plenty of time to build this team, but you can't look at the Rangers and, uh, without looking at their defensive issues, but you also can't look at the Rangers without looking at how explosive this offense is and the fact that with all their warts, the team is still 7-3. and three. And that's the golden question. It really is. Do the Rangers need to do something right now? The answer is no. You're going to get a resolution on Truba in the next month because you have to. He's either going to stay with Winnipeg for another year and go through this whole situation again, which I doubt happens. They're going to trade him or he's going to sign. But something is going to happen before December. And the minute that piece is off the table, everything else is going to come into focus, be it Dougie Hamilton, be it the Rangers making a move with Anaheim, a team like the Predators thinking, oh, crap, we can't let all these players just sit out here for nothing. It's going to happen. And yeah, and it's it's the most natural thing in the world where the Rangers have say, okay, I've got a good I've got a good group of forwards. I can't protect all of them. Let me give you a good one to a team that has the exact same problem with defense. Um, you know, trading trading a Lindbergh or uh, a Fast and then some serious futures uh, for you know a defenseman who's going to be lo- who's going to be lost for nothing anyways. Uh, it, it's the most natural thing in the world. So. It, it's just a glaring it's the, the writing's on the wall as far as i can tell all the pieces add up the puzzle does add up there's enough yes. smoke for there to be fire but it's not difficult to figure out exactly what it is the rangers are looking to do if they're going to upgrade the top 4 they're going to do it with their forwards i can't imagine jeff gordon trading his first round pick unless he's getting a guy like Truba, and I would probably vomit if the Rangers traded their first-round pick for anything other than a 22-year-old top-pairing defenseman, not because that's the value of a first-round pick, but because the Rangers have been so lucky the past three or four years developing (laughs) first-round talent with Kevin Hayes and Jimmy Vesey without first-round draft picks, getting lucky with Anthony Duclair, even though they threw him away, and Pavel Buchnevich. Brady Shea is panning out, which is nice, but he was a first-round pick. You just can't give those assets up. And if you're going to trade a person like that or, or an asset like that, it better be for a player who's going to make an impact for the long time, for a long haul. And that's what a guy like Truba would be. But, again, Winnipeg seems very set in there. We basically want a Truba back for Truba. And if that was going to happen, it would have happened right. The well, I don't pressure, know about that. You don't think so? I think the pressure's on Winnipeg at this point. I really do. 
Because come December 1st, the only thing that's going to come from Winnipeg not reaching a resolution with him or not trading him is they're going to take one of their best players and basically kill a year of his career. And you have no idea what that's going to do to the player at all. And then you're sitting on that asset. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with you in the sense that I'm not saying Winnipeg is going to trade him for a fourth-round draft pick. But I think it's much more important for Winnipeg to to make that situation go away by December than it is for other teams to jump in today. That's uh, unless you think I'm wrong. I mean, I, I figure worst case they'll they'll sign him and then he'll still want to trade, um, because you know just to sign him t- before December first and then deal with deal with the problem. Uh, but I yeah I agree with you. It's, it's unless you're getting Truba, but even even if you get Truba, then you have to theoretically commit um, to doing something about expansion. It could be paying Las Vegas in assets not to take Truba now that you can't protect him, or maybe it's buying out one, uh, one of the big defense contracts so that you don't have to, that you don't have to protect him. There, there's a long-term implication to upgrading the D um, mid-season, and I think Gordon's going to be patient on it because not only is it just a huge impact on this year, next summer, and the year after that, um, but the team also just gains cap space every day. Every day they're, they, they're like this. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna rise up. They're at, like I said, they're at three now. They're gonna be over twelve by February. Um, so patience kind of kind of pays. As far as uh, the longer he waits, the more you can see how the trade how the trade market responds to expansion. He can ac- accumulate cap space, um, and his team is winning. So he patience is a virtue, and I, I'd be surprised if he was at all rushed to make a trade. They're looking, but. He has all the time in the world right now. Right. He doesn't have to do anything, and patience is where you get a better deal. I think the answer to your question is if the Rangers do make a move, say they do get a Truba, you're not exposing him. So what you're no. doing is you're buying out Girardi is really the answer. And Even if Girardi continues this level of play, which, again, isn't anything spectacular, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a reason why the Rangers would not buy him out this summer just to avoid having to protect him at the expansion draft. Unless there's absolutely no defensive changes between now and July, which I can't imagine happening. So I just don't, I don't see an answer and I I just don't think they'll buy out stall because stall signs for another year. And between the two stall has more trade value just for his name. And he's the better player right now. So you want to bank on Girardi and they did, but the real question becomes how long are you going to, ride that train and I think everybody knows that if the Rangers are sticking with Girardi this year they're not going to stick with him when they need to lose assets because of him so um, yeah I think that's really uh, I think that's really it is there anything you want to add or talk about while we're in the Tony time um, no just thanks for having me I, I love no, the podcast thanks for, coming so on. Yeah, thanks nice for jumping to... in uh, Mika has a podcast of his own actually which you should plug right now yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter at HockeyStatMiner. Um, I'm starting a little pet podcast with my good buddy Neil. Um, we basically want to interview hockey nerds and talk nerdy about hockey. So uh, follow me on Twitter, and I'm going to be talking to Josh Calfin, uh later this week. Um, if you don't know Josh, he's, he's a really awesome uh, follow on Twitter. He's a member of the uh, hated Blue Seat Blogs run by Dave. Uh, oh, well, actually, they're, they're good guys. I, we, I just <laughs> met Pat, actually, at a Ranger game. He's a good guy. Dave sucks, though. Dave's the worst. I hope he's listening to this. Freaking Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, listen to that. You can follow him at Hockey Stat Miner. On Twitter, he swears he's going to start writing stories again for Blue Shirt Panther, so maybe you'll get to see some of that <laughs> stuff. Um, Beth maybe. was with us. Maybe. She got dropped, so it's... Uh, at Beth Macklin, M-A-C-H-L-A-N. Mike, you can follow at uh, Dig Deep BSB on Twitter. I am Blue Shirt Panther, and pretty much anything Blue Shirt Panther. Please like the uh, the podcast. Go find it on, say, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever it is. Give us five stars. Leave a nice review. It just helps other people find us. Um, and then you can, you know, feel good about yourself because you helped us find other Rangers fans. Yeah, we can help and make sure you support Mika. He's a good guy. He's done a lot for the site. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's really it. So thank you for listening. Sorry we lost Beth. Hopefully Mike uh, feels better and comes back next show. But we will see you next Wednesday. A big thanks again to Big Stick Back to you, Mika, for jumping in last minute. We'll have you on again, and Mike will be here, and then it'll be, uh, it'll be a joyous time. So thank you, everybody. Good night. <laughs>